0: Hi, I'm Curious Suvedan and welcome to Season 3 of my podcast. Today, my guest is Sumant, who is a Senior Manager at the Humane Society International India. Suman started working with animals when he was in high school in 1999. He was involved in rescue and rehabilitation of lost, injured and displaced animals. He is trying to develop systems where humans and wildlife can coexist. He has a special interest towards snakes. Hi, Sumanth. Welcome to my show.
1: Hi, Vedant. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I am a big fan of your show. I've heard every single episode from the last three seasons. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Did you enjoy the episodes?
1: I did. My favorite one was actually the one with your uh, two great-grandmothers. I really enjoyed that one.
0: Everyone seems to be enjoying it. So, Samant, you are working on developing systems where humans and wildlife coexist. I'm curious to know, what are the kinds of problems that are present?
1: That's a great question, Vedant. Uh, And I think you know this to some extent because you know in Singapore, where you are, there are many animals in the city. Similarly, all across India, there are several animals that live within cities. For instance, Bangalore, where your uh, grandparents live, there are actually leopards around their house. Uh, There are snakes around their house, there are porcupines. All of these animals exist in the same space that we are. Unfortunately, some of the resources that we need are very limited. For example, the land that we have to live on is very limited, right? India is a particular size. Bangalore as a city is of a particular size. The land is not growing. The other limited resource is water. So humans and all of these animals have to share land, have to share water, and all the other resources that are very limited in number. So that leads to a lot of problems because while animals are okay to share these uh, share land with people and share these resources with humans, not all humans are uh, are equipped to share resources with animals, and that's where the problem comes in. There is also a lot of positive interaction between humans and wild animals. But very often, there is a lot of uh, problems because elephants come into uh, fields, they destroy crops. Leopards come into villages, they take away livestock. Snakes bite people, people don't like them. So there are a lot of these issues that are created, uh, which leads to conflict.
0: Those are many problems which are big. I've seen some snakes like in nature parks, but... I've learned Mm -hmm. that if you don't disturb any animal, they won't harm you. Is that true?
1: You're absolutely spot on. Uh, Most animals don't want anything to do with us, including snakes or including leopards or elephants. They don't want to come and uh, interact with us voluntarily. It's only when we do something, they react to it or they respond to it. For example, if I'm walking in a field, uh, after dark and without any footwear, and if I accidentally step on a snake, the snake is going to turn around and bite only because it's in so much pain. Because I am I'm a heavy person, I step on a snake that's really small. That snake is going to get hurt and turn around and bite. Otherwise, the snake will just move away by itself. Very similarly, even leopards, for instance, when they come into say a village. If you give them enough space, they will go away by themselves. They don't want to uh, cause any problems or get into conflict because it's also very, very stressful for them. So what you said is spot on. Unless you do something to them that triggers a reaction, it's perfectly safe to be around animals.
0: I really like being around animals because no matter which kind they are, they're very cute and just I like being around them.
1: That's true. I love being around animals as well. Uh, I, unfortunately, I only have a dog and a cat at home, um, and I love being around them as well.
0: So what are the solutions you have in mind?
1: That's that's really tricky, Vedant, because, I mean, this, the problem is very, very complex. The only thing that will really solve it is to bring about a change in how people behave towards these animals. For example, uh let's say there's a leopard somewhere on the outskirts of Bangalore or even uh, in some village near Bangalore, people in that vicinity, people in the community have to be taught what it means to live around these wild animals. And that can come through a lot of awareness programs, a lot of outreach programs, going into these communities and telling them that, look, there might be wild animals around you. There might be bears, there might be leopards, But like you said, Vedant, we have to tell people that unless you do something to these animals, the animals are okay by themselves. And that's how you have to slowly bring about a change in the way people behave, because animals have their own behavior. It's very difficult to change animal behavior, but human behavior is something that can be changed uh, through a lot of education. So that is something that I think is a long-term solution to conflict or to be able to live alongside animals. Aside from that, what we also need to do, uh, you would have seen some images where a leopard or an elephant has come into a village or something like that, and everything goes completely crazy. People are screaming, people are throwing things at the animal. What that requires is for the government agencies, the forest department, which is the custodian or which is the caretaker of all wild animals, they need to be trained in how to handle such a situation. And that, I think, combined with bringing about change in how people behave, will be the perfect solution.
0: That's a really nice solution. You must have worked really hard on that. It's very nice.
1: Thanks so much. Uh, I think that is the only solution. Unfortunately, like like I said, it's very challenging. We've been working on it uh, for several years now. And I hope that in the near future, it starts showing some good results.
0: I have one other way.
1: Mm -hmm. Go ahead, please.
0: Probably we could ask schools to to have lessons on how to treat wildlife.
1: That is actually a fantastic idea, Vedant. And that's something that I I think you're, uh, you're, you're spot on. Because when we talk about changing how people behave towards animals, it has to start with people or with kids who are in school because then that generation grows up with that knowledge of how to be around animals or how to treat animals that are around them. And that will make a huge change. You're absolutely right. We need to go into schools and start talking to kids about the animals around them.
0: That's absolutely right. How did you get interested in human wildlife conflict issue.
1: Yeah, so uh, when, I, when I was growing up, we had a lot of, we, we used to hear of a lot of instances of snakes coming into houses or birds getting injured and falling down. And a variety of these uh, issues would keep cropping up. Unfortunately, and we would also see in television or reading newspaper about elephants coming into some farmland and then people throwing stones at them or people throwing uh Many things. I've I've seen very horrific incidents that I won't go into detail right now. Uh, But what that got me thinking was conflict between humans and wild animals seems to be the one topic that is actually the most detrimental to wild animal population. And what we what I also noticed was whenever there was an incident of conflict, be it a snake, be it a leopard or an elephant or a tiger or anything. The animal was always very, very stressed, very scared, and often very cruelly treated. So that got me really interested to say is there a better solution? Is there a way to deal with conflict without stressing the animals out as much? And that's what got me interested in conflict overall. I try to understand uh, species better, I try to understand human behavior better. And it became a really interesting theme, and I just dove deeper and deeper into it.
0: I've also seen in some books, like some make-believe books, Mm -hmm. that snakes keep going into houses, and people keep beating them. And I find that very mean. And I feel bad for the animals. If I was an animal, I would feel really bad.
1: That's true. That's true. And I think. we, we don't, a lot of people don't end up feeling bad for a lot of the smaller animals, for instance. If there's a lizard in somebody's house, that is also sharing space. And a lot of people are not tolerant of it and they end up killing the lizard or trying to drive it out. Uh, that also I think is very, very, very cool. There are much better ways of dealing with it.
0: And if there's a lizard at home, how do you deal with it?
1: So I can tell you what I do if there's a lizard at home. Uh, I, for one, think it's great to have lizards at home because they actually keep uh, the population of insects in your house uh, under control. Uh, they eat a lot of mosquitoes, they eat a lot of other smaller insects that will uh, that really helps keep the in- pop- insect population down. But if I, if there is my mother, for example, does not like lizards, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing your mom also doesn't like lizards, maybe yes. So uh, what I do when there's a lizard in my mother's house, for instance, instance, is I talk to her and I tell her that a lizard in, say, the bedroom is okay, not a great thing, but a lizard outside the house, like if it's in the garden, it's perfectly fine. So I tell her that I'm going to pick up the lizard in a very nice, gentle manner and just leave it outside. And she's perfectly okay with that. So I think that's a great thing to do. If you have a lizard at home or any other creature at home, just pick it up and leave it outside. Because here's the thing, even if there is a lizard at home and you, let's say someone ends up killing the lizard, that is not going to solve a problem. Some other lizard is going to come and take that place. So a good thing to do would be to pick it up gently and leave it outside the house.
0: That's some very good advice. So next time there's a lizard in my house, I will do it. And do you use your hands or a piece of paper?
1: Yeah, some people are not comfortable using their hands to pick up lizards. And I think, uh, I think it's a good practice to not uh, pick up animals like lizards and frogs with your hands. Because very often we use uh, some sort of a cream. Like let's say we're using an insect repellent and we have it on our hands. Some of these animals are very sensitive to those things. If we have soap on our hands, uh, animals can be very sensitive to that as well. A good thing to do is to not use your bare hands. If you have gloves, those would be great, but if you're still not comfortable, the simplest thing you could do is invert, let's say a plastic mug on the lizard, then slide like a cardboard underneath it, pick it up and gently just leave it outside.
0: Okay, sure, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Why do you have a particular interest in snakes? So uh,
1: snakes are highly, highly misunderstood creatures. Uh, there's a lot of superstitions about them. There's a lot of myths about snakes. Um, and that what that does is the minute there's a snake in somebody's house, people either want to kill it or they want to have it caught and released in a forest, which also means that the snake does not survive in that forest then. So it got me thinking the highest amount of conflict every day in India is with snakes so while we can see uh, leopards being dealt with cruelly or elephants being dealt with cruelly there are far far more number of snakes that uh, that face cruelty on a day to day basis and that's what got me interested in snakes but they're also really interesting creatures right these are snakes are some of the only animals that are comfortable on land on trees and in water and they do all of these without hands or legs like imagine eating your meal vedant without if you couldn't eat you couldn't use your hands uh, so snakes to me are are really fascinating cuz they are uh, this they're, they're really mysterious creatures and it's very hard to understand them and that's what got me really interested in them i wanted to learn more and more about them why they are the way they are how can they survive without hands without legs um, and how can they climb trees with with a body like it? How can they swim, and how can they go underground and on the surface? Uh, it was just a very, very fascinating creature for me to uh, for me to learn about.
0: For me, one fascinating thing about snakes
1: mm-hmm. is
0: that even though they have a bone, like they have bones, mm-hmm. their body can like slither so much. They can move so much. Their body is so flexible.
1: Exactly, and that's, that's another thing that's really fascinating about them, right? Like, there are snakes that can climb up trees and then jump from one tree to another tree and flatten their body so they can actually glide uh, like a paraglider. Uh, so those are some really, really fascinating things about snakes. Very few other animals can do that.
0: But animals like the flying fox can do things like that.
1: Yes, the flying fox is a, uh, is a species of bat. And they can actually fly very, very well. There are also flying squirrels. Uh, In all fairness, though, they are called flying squirrels, but they really can't fly. What they do is glide. But I think gliding squirrel is not quite as exciting name as flying squirrel.
0: Yes, I agree. Many people have a lot of misconceptions about snakes. Mm -hmm. Can you share some of the most common misconceptions that people have? For example... I know many people think that most snakes, snake bites are lethal to humans, but that is not true.
1: You're right. Uh, not all snake bites are lethal to humans. There are plenty of misconceptions about snakes. And I think if if, if I were to think about why that is, uh, what comes to my mind is we are never formally taught about snakes, right? Like in our school, at least in my school, I'm not sure how your school is. In my school, nobody ever spoke to me about snakes. Uh, Even though they are all around us, there are so many of them, nobody ever spoke to me about it. The only place that you can sort of get some information about snakes is uh, mostly television, on watching Animal Planet and a lot of these other channels, uh, or from magazines, uh, or from videos on YouTube, or from stories that your grandma and grandpa maybe tell you about it. Unfortunately, not a lot of them are truthful, uh, because because nobody has ever been taught about snakes in a thorough scientific manner. All the stories that come from them are also very uh, very inaccurate. Like some of the biggest myths I've heard, the misconceptions I've heard is uh, you probably know this too. Do you have you ever heard of snakes drinking milk? No. So this is a very popular myth all across uh, India at least that on certain festival days you can offer milk to snakes and they'll drink it. The reality is that snakes are reptiles and reptiles don't give milk to their young. Uh, Like You'll never see a crocodile in the wild giving milk to its young or you'll never see a lizard in your house giving milk to its young.
0: I haven't even seen a lizard give birth.
1: Exactly. So... Reptiles and birds do not give milk to the young, but that's a very common myth. Everybody goes and tries to feed uh, milk to snakes, and then these snakes die a very, uh, very cruel death because they can't digest milk at all. But some of the other misconceptions I've heard is uh, they say that if you hurt a snake, uh, the snake will come back in 12 years and seek revenge. And that is really absurd because most snakes don't even survive 12 years in the wild. So you, it, it's just physically impossible. And there are plenty, plenty of misconceptions about how you handle a snake bite, for example. People do everything from uh, trying to suck the venom out with your mouth to trying to burn the wound. They do plenty of things, lots and lots and lots of misconceptions about snakes and snake bite.
0: So snakes, venom, you can drink, right? But It can't go into your blood, right?
1: That's a very, very technical differentiation, uh, Vedant. Uh, Venom, by definition, uh, very commonly people use venom and poison interchangeably. A lot of people will say poisonous snakes, for example, and not venomous snakes. Poison and venom are two very different things. Poison is something that you can either uh, eat, drink, inhale, or absorb through your skin venom is something that has to enter your blood for it to have any effect technically what you said uh, what you said is true however it's an extremely risky thing to do for instance you don't know if you have a cavity in your mouth or if you do, or you don't know if you have any minor uh, ulcers or cuts in your throat if so if somebody were to try and drink venom it could very easily enter their bloodstream And then it would have the same effect that that venom would in a bloodstream. So it's never, never advisable to uh, drink venom based on technical difference between venom and poison.
0: Yeah, I know that. That's good. What are the things to be done in case of a snake bite?
1: That's very interesting. And I think uh, this is something that a lot of people get wrong. What I can tell you, Vedant, is in case there's a snake bite the things that you shouldn't do is a lot more important than the things that you should do because there are so many things that you shouldn't do which are commonly practiced and they can be life threatening for example the one thing you never do is you shouldn't panic you should stay as calm as possible because if when you panic your heart rate goes up and your blood starts circulating faster through your body and your blood is carrying venom with it So never, never panic, even though it's extremely difficult to stay calm, you have to stay calm as much as possible. The second thing to never do is don't tie a tourniquet, and tourniquet could be like a piece of cloth or a rope. Never tie a rope or a cloth anywhere near the bite. It's very common practice to identify a spot about three or four inches away from the site of bite and tie a piece of cloth. To restrict the flow of venom. What that ends up doing is it restricts the flow of venom to just one part of the body. So when that person is taken to a hospital and in the hospital, they have to take out this rope or cloth to treat them, there is a sudden rush of venom into the body and that's actually very, very harmful. So never ever tie a cloth or a rope. A lot of people, like I said earlier, also try to cut the wound uh, or try to suck the venom out, again, will not work. If, uh, if there's already a snake bite and you're taking a knife and cutting the wound, you're adding another wound to where a wound already exists. And what that does, it just gives more opportunity for blood to flow out faster. Uh, so never ever cut the wound or try to suck the venom out. A lot of people also try to burn the wound. Uh, That's also not something that will help at all. It actually makes the wound much more infectious. Never waste time. Very, very important. Whenever there's a snake bite, a lot of people will waste time in trying to catch the snake or kill the snake to take it to the hospital with them. That is no longer required because we have a common medicine. So never waste time in doing that. And never, never go to a local healer um, or some quack who promises to treat snakebite, always, always, always go to a hospital. These are the things that you shouldn't do. Can I tell you very quickly what you should do in case of a snake bite?
0: Sure, we have all the time in the world.
1: Okay. So what you should do is actually really simple. Firstly, you have to stay as calm as possible. Do not panic, like I said. Then get the patient, whoever's been bitten by the snake, get them to sit down with the sight of bite below their heart, if possible. Like let's say they've been bitten, somebody's been bitten on their hand. The good thing to do would be to make them sit and keep their hand below the level of their heart. Uh, That actually helps greatly in uh, in ensuring that the venom doesn't flow as quickly through the system as possible. The next thing to do is to remove all constraining items. Like let's say the person is wearing bangles, let's say they're wearing rings or a watch, remove all of those. Because what happens is when there is a snake bite, uh, their arms and legs start swelling up. And when they start swelling up, if, if you have a watch on, it serves the same purpose as tying a rope or tying a cloth. So take out all bangles, watch, rings, anything of that sort. And immobilize the limb. Like let's say somebody has been bitten on their hand. Uh, what you could do is you could take like a, like a piece of cloth, like a dupatta or a sari or something of that sort, and create a sling. Have you seen how when uh, when somebody breaks their hand, for example, it's put in a sling around their neck? Yeah. yeah. So make a sling like that with any cloth that you get, just so you're not moving the arm too much. If you're moving the bitten uh, limb too much, That again increases blood circulation and carries venom with it. So don't move the arm, head straight to the hospital. Go straight away to the hospital in any vehicle that you can find. Do not wait for an ambulance to reach. If you can mobilize a car, go in the car to the hospital. If you have access to a motorbike, it is recommended that the person who's been bitten Sits in the middle. So, three people on a motorbike, one person riding, the victim of the bite in the middle, and another person behind them, and they can be rushed to a hospital. What you do on the way to the hospital is very important. You have to take note of all the signs and symptoms that develop. For instance, when people get bit by snakes, they have a swelling. Every time the swelling passes a major joint in the body, like let's say, for example, somebody's been bitten on their finger. When the swelling passes the wrist, which is a major joint, you have to make note of what time that was. And then let's say the swelling passes the elbow, which is another major joint, make another note of what time that happened. So that information will be very, very useful to the doctor to determine how much venom has gone in and what kind of treatment needs to be started. Because if you don't record those signs and symptoms and give to the doctor, the doctor is going to wait to record that himself or herself and then start treatment, which will just end up wasting his time. So those are all the things that you shouldn't and should do. And that will keep a person absolutely safe from snake bite.
0: Those are some very useful tips. Thank you for sharing them with me and my listeners. What do you do as a senior manager
1: at HSI India. So as a senior manager at HSI, uh, I manage three departments. I manage the wildlife department in which, like I said, we work on conflict. We work on conflict with elephants. We work on conflict with snakes. We do something very interesting uh, in understanding snakes. We do, uh, we use a technique called as radio telemetry. One of the snakes that bites a lot of people in India is this species called the Russell's Viper. It's a very beautiful looking snake, but also very, very dangerous, uh, especially for farmers who are working out in the field. So we really wanted to understand why this snake is biting people. Uh, why is it biting so many people? What is its behavior around people? The only way to study a snake uh, is to do what we are doing. So what we do is we we've got about 30 of these snakes and we insert small radios in them near the tail. There's actually a cavity called the salomic cavity. We insert the, uh, the, the transmitter in the cavity, then we put the snake back, in, back where we found it, and we follow the snake with an antenna and a receiver for three years. And in three years that we follow the snake, we get to learn a lot about the snake. We learn what the snake is doing throughout the day, We learn when is the snake most active? What does the snake do when it rains? What does the snake do when it gets too hot outside? What does it do when there are people around? What does it do when there are um, cows grazing around? We learn a lot of these things. And in three years from now, we can go to the community there and say, here's how the snake behaves. So this is what you need to do to keep yourself safe from snakes. That's one of the big things that, that we run in HSI India on the wildlife front. In addition to it, what we are also doing is we've, we're giving out a lot of gum boots, which are knee-length boots to farmers to keep them safe from snake bites because a lot of them get bitten on their leg when they're working. We also give them solar lanterns so they can actually see where they are going when they are walking because a lot of rural India does not have electricity still. Um, aside from that we also work on human elephant conflict which is very very uh, which is a big complex issue as well as a part of that we've radio we've put these radio collars on six elephants uh, in a district called kood and we are again tracking them every day to learn more about them so we can actually help people live alongside these animals with all the information that they need so that's one of the things that uh, that I do with HSI India.
0: I remember uh, me, you, and my father, and a few other people going mm-hmm. on the elephant hunt. Yes. And then they found lots of elephant poop, and there was drag, fu- I mean, drag fruit seeds in it, and managed to see some elephants. It was really fun.
1: I know. In fact, you know, uh, it's very interesting that you bring that up. The place where we are running the elephant conflict work is in the same place that we went to, where we went to see all those elephants. Uh, and seeing elephant poop is always fun. Uh, and stuff that grows out of elephant poop is always fun. But yeah, we are, we are working in the same places where you, you, me, Jessima had gone uh, in all the same place. In fact, you came with us when we were actually trying to identify a place to work. So you were actually there with us right when we started the work
0: wow i didn't realize i thought it was like for fun i didn't realize i was actually helping
1: it it, it was a lot of fun as well uh, but yeah you were actually helping us identify these locations what you should do is the next time you come to india uh, ask ask your father to bring you again and we can go back to the same places and see what we are doing now it's going to look also, it's going to look somewhat different
0: and also see how it's changed
1: yes and you can come out uh, tracking elephants and snakes with us. You can go uh, with the receiver and the antenna and you can go find snakes and elephants. Nice. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and is it true that you can make paper out of elephant poop?
1: Yes. Uh, in fact, a lot of, there are a lot of companies that make paper uh, and then they make books out of elephant poop. Uh, I, I believe I, I have a couple of them and I've not used them extensively, but I think they're, they're actually quite good.
0: What did you want to be as a child?
1: Oh, so many things. Uh, but one of the things that I, I, I... There were various things that I wanted to be, right from uh, a police officer to somebody in the army to a variety of things. But the one thing that stayed with me the longest was to be a scientist. Uh, I don't know what it was about scientists, but I've always wanted to be a scientist. I, 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 it fascinates me to look into a microscope and see what I can see inside. Uh, So I always wanted to be a scientist without really understanding what it means completely. Uh, But now that I do understand what it means completely, I think I was right. I think I still do want to be a scientist. What about you?
0: Well, uh, since I've already done more than 60 episodes, there are lots of things on my list now. (laughs) Like...
1: Are you going to be an uh, animal rescuer as well? Is that one of the things on the list?
0: Yes, that is. That was actually one of the first things on my list.
1: Awesome. Awesome. You should you should come with me and we'll go rescuing these animals together.
0: And also you are kind of a scientist now. Uh in some sense, yes,
1: but I think uh, to me, it seems like it's very uh it's very to define what a scientist truly is like for example you know how people say somebody is an engineer because they've studied engineering i don't think that's entirely true i think an engineer for example is somebody who solves a problem so anybody who can do solve a problem is an engineer so that way anybody who can look at a who can look at an issue and try to understand more about it can be a scientist you don't have to uh, you don't have to study anything specific to be a scientist everyone is a scientist. In in fact, um, in Singapore and in India, there are some very interesting programs on citizen science, which means as a citizen, can you contribute towards the growing science? Like, for example, you you were telling me earlier about all the otters in Singapore. Uh, Now, let's say there are a couple of researchers or scientists who are trying to study these otters. It's going to be very difficult for them to go and study otters every day because they have to go to so many places, and there are very few of them. Uh, but let's say there are more citizens like you who are involved, who volunteer to look at these animals and give them all the information they need to the scientists. That would make you a citizen scientist. And citizen scientists play a very, very, very important role in science.
0: I'm sl- I do not know there were lots of categories in science, <laughs> though only type of science anyway was like... Plant science and like chemicals and experimenting. I didn't Mm -hmm. know there were so many kinds of science.
1: Oh, there's a lot of them. Uh, In fact, even in just animal science or plant science, there's so many things. There are people who study plants underwater, for example, which is a really cool thing to do. They're a whole different kind of scientists by themselves. They're called marine botanists. Um, So, yeah, there's there's somebody who studies uh, animals in relation to astronomy or astrology astronomy sorry so there's a lot of there's a lot of new fields of science that are coming up every day i think when it comes to the comes to a time when you have to decide what you want to do there's going to be plenty 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 of options
0: yeah probably i still have like more than more than 10 years
1: that's good to know you should try everything possible in these 10 years so you you have a you have a complete understanding of what it means to be doing those things.
0: And by marine plants, you mean the things like seaweeds and corals and and all of those?
1: Correct. There's a lot of, uh, like you said, seaweed, there's plenty of other uh, plants that grow underwater. In fact, the underwater ecosystem, what you should do sometimes, Vedant, is when you're in Singapore and you have the chance, you should go snorkeling sometime. Of the coast of Singapore, if you haven't done it already, um, and the 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 world underwater is so much different than the world above water. It's very very fascinating, uh, and it's possible to just be swimming for hours and hours because you're so engrossed in looking at things underwater. So yeah, there's plenty of those. You should you should definitely explore while you have the chance.
0: I really wish I had the chance, but because of covid i think they've cancelled everything
1: mm-hmm. you, it will open up soon enough
0: yeah probably what are your hobbies
1: so uh my hobbies are a few they change every few days
0: uh
1: i'm right now the, for the last year for example since we've all been at home and spending so much time at home i have been i have become obsessed with uh, brewing coffee in many different ways uh so that's become my latest hobby uh, but aside from that i'm also uh I, I do exercise a fair amount so i really like uh, this one form of exercise called crossfit uh which is which has become a hobby and more than a hobby uh i also do a lot of carpentry i do a lot of woodworking uh, in fact at one point of time i made the dining table that we used to use in our house and i've made a few uh benches and a few bookshelves so i love working with wood uh yeah those 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 are all about my hobbies. What are your hobbies, Miranth?
0: Well, I have a lot. Mm-hmm. Like building Legos, reading books, doing arts, playing outside, playing cricket, running around.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah, I know that you really love uh, Lego.
0: Thank you so much for coming on my show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Vedant. This has been truly, truly a lot of fun uh, to chat with you. It's been great.
0: This was so fun.
1: Thanks, Vedant.
0: Dear listeners, follow my Facebook page, Curious Vedant, to get updates on my upcoming episodes. To listen at leisure on your phone and get notified of our future episodes, Subscribe by searching for Curious Vedant wherever you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also listen to my show on Curious Thank you for listening to Curious Vedant. And don't forget to rate and leave comments.